Philippians chapter 4, we'll look at the second half of verse 5 through verse 7. Perhaps a familiar verse, but one that I wanted to include in this series on prayer. We have two weeks remaining in this series on prayer, and then we will launch into a a lengthy study of First and Second Kings with a particular focus on the ministry of Elijah and then Elisha. Very much looking forward to that series. That will be coming up in three weeks. One more week on prayer next Sunday out of the book of James. I want to remind us, as I do every week, as a, a habit and also to, to push back against the idea of pluralism that is so prevalent in this world that all opinions are equal, that we believe that that's not true. We believe that God's Word has authority over every other word, over our own minds, over the words in this world, over politicians and pundits, athletes, <laughs> that this is the Word that, that matters. This is the Word that we submit to, and we have a delightful Word to read this morning. So let's begin reading Philippians chapter 4, the second half of verse 5. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Lord, bless the preaching and the believing of your word. Amen. One of the, really the only comic strip that I've ever spent any length of time in when I was younger was Calvin and Hobbes. Um, I, I don't know about a lot of other comic strips except for the occasional site, but this one I've spent some time in. And one of the themes, if you're familiar with that strip, is Calvin's mischievous capacity. If you don't know the strip, he's a little mischievous genius. Um, and his arch nemesis, Susie, uh, frequently features. And one of the themes in the strip is Calvin's capacity to describe normal food in an extraordinarily abnormal way. Well, one scene finds them at the cafeteria lunch table, and the frame that opens it has Calvin looking at a sandwich. And he says, look, at this sandwich, Susie's sitting next to him, my mom made. I'm not eating this wretched thing. The next frame has him making a, <laughs> a disgusted face, and he says, why, this squid isn't even fresh. Smell it. Look how rubbery it is. And the inky brine has soaked the bread. The pickles are pulp. Gross. Now, we know as readers that's not what his mom made him, but that's how he's describing what his mom made him. Next frame. You see Calvin innocently handing the sandwich to Susie while she looks disgusted and pukish, and the bubble over his head says, Want to trade? She is then gone out of the next frame, and Calvin looks dejected, munching on his sandwich, and the thought bubble over his head says, Nobody will trade with a kid whose mom makes a bad sandwich. Nobody will trade with a kid whose mom makes a bad sandwich. Trades and exchanges are part of life. 
And yes, it is true that nobody in any cafeteria anywhere traded for a squid and ink, ink sandwich. It's true also that we experience trades and exchanges as just a normal part of our life. Sometimes we trade good things for bad things, like the time I traded good money for a horrible car. That happens uh, to me fairly regularly. Uh, but exchanges happen all the time. We exchange work for pay. We exchange bad car parts, we hope, <laughs> for good car parts. We exchange our money for groceries. It's part of the way that we do our world. It actually is a really important concept and theme in our spiritual life as well. We exchange, most importantly, our sinful record for the record of Christ's righteousness. We exchange our condemnation for the welcome of a heavenly father. We exchange a future in hell for a future in heaven. Well, well this passage is about an exchange. It's about a trade. And surprisingly, God commands us to trade something that is bad for something that is overwhelmingly good. Our God actually does make that trade. He wants us and commands us even to exchange anxiety for peace, and here's the key point, by prayer. If there was a, a paraphrase of what this command is, that's how I would put it. We're to exchange anxiety for peace by prayer. That's what we're called to do in this passage. Now, there's, there's three sections that I want to walk through that help us to see that point, that exchange that God is calling us to. It's a very good exchange for our part, a very good exchange, but there's three parts we need to understand. First, the nearness of our Lord. Notice this little phrase that I believe very much is intended to be attached to both what comes before and what comes after as a theological truth that is planted right in the middle of this paragraph. The Lord is at hand. So the commands, rejoice in the Lord, let your reasonableness be known to all, do not be anxious, in everything, offer prayers and supplications. It's, it's anchored, if we could put it, in this phrase. The Lord is at hand. The nearness of our Lord. The Lord, our Lord, draws near to the needy. The Lord is present with his people because of the grace of salvation. Because he has dealt with our sins through the finished work of his cross, he comes near to us in comfort instead of in wrath and judgment. Paul has already covered this, as he often does, early in the letter. That Christ died on the cross, and because of that, we have a new way of life. We've been united to Christ, Christ who is the sacrifice for sinners. Now, that Lord who has died for our sins and made it possible for his nearness to be a good thing rather than a bad thing is at hand. The phrase at hand, it, it just implies nearness, proximity. Commentators believe, and, and I agree, that this probably has a, a, a twofold emphasis at some level. It certainly emphasizes, I think, his immediate relational nearness, his spatial nearness to us, you could say. It probably also has some hint or implication that we're to look to his return. But certainly the emphasis here is on his relational nearness to us, and that is meant to make all the difference. When something or someone is at hand, it means there is no waiting between when you need them and when they are available to act. 
They are at hand. If you say you have a tool at hand, you don't have to search for it. Where is that right-sized thing? It's at hand. It's right there. If a child knows his father is at hand, he doesn't have to worry about jumping into the pool or exploring in the woods. The Lord is at hand. And, and even in seasons of discipline where we're experiencing the loving discipline of the Lord, even when our emotions experience the lack of an awareness of God's nearness, He is actually at hand. It is a theological truth that He is at hand. I, the clearest picture I've ever had of this in my own experience was when one of my children experienced a season of, of night terrors. They would have night terrors. If any of your kids have ever had this time, it's a terrible thing. They're, they're having a, a, an extreme nightmare and they're asleep. They're not aware of what's going on around them. So you could come into their room because they're crying out or screaming or whatever. They're not awake and you're right there next to them. They're not actually in any danger and yet they feel terrified. Well, you are at hand. So even in moments where we experience the thought that God is far from us, we experience the thought that we are being perhaps disciplined, and perhaps we are. Our emotions are indicating a, a sense of loneliness and terror. The, the reality is the Lord is at hand. He is at hand. This theological truth makes all the difference. We know the Lord is at hand with all of his power and wisdom and knowledge. He is close to you. He is available to you. He is ready to act on behalf of his people. This changes everything and is the anchor or the foundation of the exchange that he then calls us to make. We might put it this way, since the Lord is at hand, what? What does he say? That gets to the command of the Lord. The Lord who is at hand, nearby, available in all of his power, wisdom, and love, that Lord says this command. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. There's the command. Do not be anxious. That's the negative side of the command. And the positive thing we are to do, the way in which we reject anxiety, is that we are to offer our prayers, our supplications to the Lord. Let's look at the negative side first of this command. First of all, we have to see this as a command. I find the concept of command being gradually lost and dissipated in the, in the Western church. The, the concept that we are commanded things. In other words, indulging anxiety is not a condition or a malady or a disorder. It is a sin. Do you see how that gradually has been diluted in our, our modern culture? Aside from extreme situations, and, and they are highly unusual, if I can just put it that way. Uh, one of the things our culture does is it takes highly unusual situations of, of people's conditions, and it gra gradually encroaches them upon more and more of the population, such that this person who truly has some sort of severe physical malady that amplifies fear and schizophrenia and so forth, that, that increasingly becomes the way even ordinary minds think about their, in this case, anxiety. 
So in, in no way to minimize the extreme situations in which that may be an unusual temptation, physical fears and thoughts and hallucinations that come to the mind of some that is present in some cases. Yet for the vast, vast majority, we have to see our anxiety that we experience and indulge not as a condition but as a choice. We have to see it as a choice. Too often in our day and age, especially in the West, we view God as a kind of divine therapist who's helping us to find our best self. Or we think of sins as a disposition that we need to be talked out of instead of a choice that we need to refuse. According to the scriptures, overwhelmingly so, fear and anxiety is a choice. It is a choice. Some might be more prone to that choice than others, just like we're all prone to some particular sins. But it is a choice. To be anxious is a choice. It is a sin. It is not a condition out of my control. It is a choice that I have made. The Lord's command is that we must not indulge anxiety. Now, this is not saying that there aren't things that could tempt anxiety. That's why the command is needed. Because Christians live in an anxiety-tempting world. They have children, which by itself tempts anxiety. They have struggles in their marriage. That tempts anxiety. They're uncertain about their financial future. That tempts anxiety. They don't know what will happen in old age. That tempts anxiety. They see problems in the state and in the state of their home and their car. That tempts anxiety. Temptations to anxiety abound. That's why God says, do not be anxious. I am at hand. Do not fear. I am at hand. The Lord commands us to pray instead of worry. And according to this passage, I believe we're to see prayer as the most essential way in which we reject worry. Anxiety, we could put it this way, is refusing to trust through prayer the Lord's wisdom, his power, or his goodness. And I I would encourage you to think of those three categories. You could substitute love for goodness if you want. Wisdom, power, and goodness as normally one of the three things that anxiety is doubting. It's one of those three things. There's a a lecture I did a long time ago with a bunch of youth where I said, look, this is the mystery triangle, okay? Here's the mystery triangle. Wisdom, power, and goodness. How do you fit? Which point does evil and suffering fit into that triangle? And you have to include the other three. It's a mystery, and that's the problem. We have troubles that come into our life, troubles in the world, troubles in our own personal lives. And what happens to us? We tend to doubt one of those three points. Either God doesn't know what's happening, he can't control it, or he can know, he can control it, and he's not good in what he's doing. But if you force all of those three things, you have to say, somehow... This situation doesn't call into question God's goodness, his wisdom, or his power. Anxiety doubts one or all of those three things. That's what anxiety is doing. Anxiety is saying, it is saying, God, you are not powerful enough, you are not wise enough, or you do not love me enough 
to work for my good in this situation. That's what anxiety is saying. It's not a malady. It's not a condition. It's not an unfortunate habit. It's not something we need self-help out of. It is a sin. And it's a sin that's meant to be exchanged by something. This passage makes it very clear. Paul's not calling for us to go from anxiety to neutral. There is no such thing in the Christian life as stopping sin and replacing it with nothing. You'll just go back to doing it again or you replace it with something worse. The only way the Christian life works is replacing sin with something else. In other words, we're a vacuum. You have to put something in its place. Something has to be put in its place. And in this passage, what's meant to replace anxiety is peace through the means of prayer. Peace by way of prayer. That's the exchange that God commands. Stop being anxious. Pray and receive God's peace. We're not to worry, but we are to do something else. What is the alternative? We are to lift, look at your passage, we are to lift our prayers and supplications with thanksgiving to God. Number of descriptive phrases, but that's the essential point. We're to do this, notice, in everything. All kinds of circumstances or needs. No thing is to be outside the realm of prayer for the Christian. All kinds of things in our finances, in our marriages, in our parenting, in our relationships, in our churches, in our nation. We are to lift requests that are in keeping with the glory of God up to him. I think that's why he repeats with so many different phrases the call here. In everything, by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known. He's accenting the degree of our taking our needs and our temptations to worry to the Lord. We're to do this, notice, with thanksgiving. We, we lift up our needs remembering with thankfulness that God loves us and he has already been so good to us. Thankfulness Thankfulness should be the atmosphere of our relationship with God. We, we offer prayers with thanksgiving. First of all, because it's just right, because God has already done so many good things for us, namely and especially salvation. But also because it fuels your prayer if you remember all the ways God has been good. If you neglect thanksgiving, your prayers begin to be tinged with cynicism or with a kind of perfunctory duty atmosphere as opposed to a sense of confidence that God loves me and he is able and powerful and wise to do these things. So thankfulness isn't just right because it gives credit to God where credit is due. It's also a fuel to give faith to those prayers that we haven't seen answers to yet. So when we, when we pray with thankfulness, we're actually helping ourselves do the very thing that leads to peace. We are to thread thankfulness through our prayers, and we are to pray in all circumstances. God intends his people to lift their requests, their needs, their burdens in everything to him. In everything. And this is the alternative to indulging in anxiety. So if you want to know, what do I do if I am prone to anxiety, how do I stop being anxious? Pray. 
How do I resist the sin of anxiety? It's, it's, it's often not helpful to say to ourselves and to others, you just have to stop worrying. Stop worrying. Stop sinning. Well, yes, yes, stop. But how? In this passage, it's pray. God doesn't say, stop that and give you nothing to do. He says, stop that by starting this. Stop that by doing this. Stop being anxious. Have you seen inside of my brain? It's like telling somebody, don't think about an elephant. God doesn't do that. He says, stop being anxious by praying. He's not saying pretend the needs aren't there. Act like you don't have the needs. Be an optimist. Learn to not notice things. Be a fatalist. Be someone who just resigned to their fate and is indifferent about the world. Be someone who's careless about the pains and suffering. No, he's not saying that. He's saying whatever level of of suffering and awareness and needs and supplication and requests you have, bring them to the Lord. Do you see the difference? The world might say, we got to get you stopping being anxious. And we're going to do that by a sort of positivity. Or perhaps if you just vent all of your anxieties to a person who can do nothing about it, it will help you. God says, no, here's what can help you. List them to the Lord. Offer them to the Lord. Bring them to God. Don't be anxious, sinful, sinful to be anxious. Indulging in anxiety is sin. But bringing them to God is the alternative. D.A. Carson says it very directly. He says, the way to be anxious about nothing is to be prayerful about everything. The way to be anxious about nothing is to be prayerful about everything. Everything. This light and traffic means I won't get there on time, and I'm concerned that I will disappoint my friend or family member. Lord, help me to get there on the time that you want me to get there. Lord, guard them from this being offensive to them. This family dinner that we're supposed to have could produce very difficult conversations about faith or politics. Lord, guard my tongue and my heart. And help me to bring pleasure to you. Help me to bring, have peace and be satisfied in your favor and not worried about the opinion of my relative who's always disappointed in me. Lord, what, what are we doing? I will not be anxious. I will offer my request to the Lord. Lord, this child still doesn't seem to get this necessary educational step that they need to move forward. Lord, help them. Help them to make progress in this particular area. This child can't seem to learn that anger is bad. Lord, help them. Help them. Grow them. Help them to see the grace of God. Lord, my boss looked at me weird on Monday and sent that strange email about possible changes on Thursday. What does that mean? Lord, Help me to trust you. Would you provide? Grant me favor. Grant me trust if something does happen. Lord, the car is making a noise. Rather than, what does that mean? How much does it cost? When can I get it in? Lord, would you guard and protect my life and my car? And Lord, if there is a need, would you please give us what we need to fix it? What do we do all day long? Typically, we indulge in anxiety and self-sufficiency rather than prayer. 
I'll fix it or I'll worry about it is a godless, ultimately godless way to live. If I can fix it, it must be in dependence on God's strength. And I should not worry about it because God loves me and knows my future already. The way to be anxious about nothing, here's the thing, is to be prayerful about everything. What's one thing that should come to mind when you're anxious? I haven't been praying enough. And I better do it right now. now. Delightfully, we don't stop with just the alternative command. There's also this magnificent promise that is placed in this passage. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, prayer, supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And here's the promise. The promise of our Lord, point number three. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I want to say this very, very carefully because I believe there are wonderfully gifted professionals in all manner of professions in this world. Medical, mental, psychological, very, very helpful. God has given common grace in various medicines. So I want to be very clear. I think those can be very useful in key moments in people's life and, and sometimes for the entirety of their life. Okay, so just don't you hear that loud and clear. I believe that. However, for the Christian, for the Christian, we, we must not substitute common grace for special grace. Here's what I mean. Common grace is good. Common grace is the stuff God gives everybody in the world, Christian and non-Christian. The sun shines on the just and the unjust. Ibuprofen works for Christians and non-Christians alike. Doctors can diagnose things whether they're a Christian or not. Plumbers are able to fix things whether they believe in Jesus or somebody else. There's common grace, praise God, that's present in this world because of the mercy of God. But we as Christians must not assume that we're to live the way a non-Christian does only on common grace. We can take advantage of common grace, but we have been given special grace. Special grace, what I mean by that is the grace of a relationship with God that transcends and is more important than the gifts of common grace. This passage reveals one of those areas. How many people in this world, the best solution that they have is some kind of medical solution to pervasive anxiety. And I don't begrudge those solutions. It's the best they have. What I do begrudge is a Christian who limits themselves to that solution when they also have, and more importantly have, the solution of God himself. Therefore, be careful that the first thought in your mind when you have something that the Bible calls sin, that your first thought isn't necessarily, I, I need common grace. Maybe you do. 
And I'm not saying we shouldn't take common grace. I believe in surgeries and medicine and doctor's visits, okay? So take advantage. But the first thought, and even the primary thought, certainly the thought we're more invested in, along with common grace, should be, I know God. And if I know God, if the Lord, my Savior, is at hand, I, I need to think, how can his word help me exchange a sin for a greater relationship with him? I, I think this plays into the instincts people have when they, when they face difficulties. I, I would also want to commend to you part of the role of pastoral ministry and wise and godly Christians throughout the church is to help one another and help us to see how God's word addresses the sinful maladies in our life. But if we bypass that special privilege and only go to common graces, we're neglecting the greatest privilege that we have. Again, not against these, but don't neglect the special privileges and even those who might come alongside and say, yes, I struggle with anger. I wouldn't first think common grace. I would think I need the Bible and someone who knows the Bible well to speak into my soul and help me grow. Is common grace needed in sleep? Yes, I've said enough caveats, right? The point is we need, we need that special privilege, which includes pastoral counseling and Christian fellowship and exhortation that comes from God's word and says, here's how God's word addresses you. So in a situation like this, when somebody or I say, I struggle with anxiety all the time, I wouldn't first think, you know what I need? An anxiety therapist. I would first think, I need a scripture and a helper to help me exchange anxiety for peace. That's the first thought I should have. And God has given pastors and wise, godly Christians throughout the church that can hold our hands and walk us through. Here's, here's I think, how this applies. Let, let's, let's apply another passage. And here's another theme. And here's a, here's a resource that describes this at length and talks through the process. That, that ought to be... The, the first thought we have, and, and common grace certainly might be added to that, but we shouldn't neglect that and think, you, you, know, what I, you know what I need? I, I struggle with arrogance. I, I need a, a pride therapist. No, firstly, we need God's word to address our heart, and here's why that is most important. Therapy, left to itself, and even medicines left to themselves do not lead a people to their God. Ultimately, we need more than healthy minds and healthy bodies. We need redemption. And there is only one Redeemer. There is only one Savior. And yes, He's generous to give common grace, but the people of God must take advantage of the unique redemption that comes in Christ. And it's displayed in this passage by a promise God gives, not just to make you less anxious, but far more than that, to give you an unfathomable peace. An unfathomable peace. Imagine if somebody could hang that on their website. We promise unimaginable peace. Anxious much? 
we promise unimaginable peace. Peace beyond your wildest dreams. Peace beyond your greatest description. Peace beyond the heights of the heavens, the depths of the ocean. We guarantee peace. That's what God promises. That's what God gives. So let's not neglect the special privileges purchased for us by the death of Christ, given to us by God's own favor. He promises peace, and he has an extraordinarily simple diagnosis. Pray, and you will increasingly experience unfathomable peace. Is there a doctor that provides a simpler diagnosis? Can you imagine going in? Oh, doctor, I have a massive problem in my body. Here's what you got to do. Start talking to a deity. That's it? Yes. No charge. No charge. That is extraordinarily simple for a life-wide problem. God says pray and, and, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. I think that's describing the extent of God's own peace. A peace that is unimaginable. A peace that is unfathomable. A peace that is beyond anything we could comprehend or describe. But it is provided to us, and it has this effect. It guards our heart and our mind. Heart probably referring to the volitional will center of a person. Mind being our thoughts. It guards. The word guard there has to do with a, a, a garrison of soldiers. It, it sets up a guard such that our will is not drawn away from God toward false idols, and our mind is not cluttered with anxieties. That's the guard that God sets up around us as we pray to Him. Now, that is an extraordinary promise. Extraordinary promise with the most minimal and unburdensome of commands. Is there a command, other than coming to Jesus for salvation, is there a command of which we could more easily say, my burden is easy, and my yoke is light. If you are anxious, pray, and I will give you peace. How gentle is God? If you are anxious, wherever you are anxious, in everything in which you are anxious, pray. Requests. What requests do you have? With thanksgiving, and I'll give you peace. As you pray, peace will set up a guard. The, the, the people hearing this letter, they would have been very familiar with the Roman garrison idea. The idea that in those days, people, very few people had swords and weapons. It's, it's okay. So the idea that you have a, a cohort of Roman invincible soldiers around an area, the whole concept for a person receiving this letter is you ain't getting in there. And if you try, you die. You are not getting in there. That dude with the spear and the sword and a chest plate and buddies surrounding that area, you with your little club are not getting in. That's how God describes, yes, that's the peace you will have when you pray. Now, 
if we have made, because I know the obvious question is, well, sometimes I pray and I don't experience peace right away. Yes, <laughs> if, if we have made an, a habit of anxiety that exceeds our habit of prayer, it may take a minute for our emotions to catch up to the benefits of this promise. That may be true, because there's lots of passages in Scripture that call us to persevere in prayer. So it, it's not as though this is a magical pill where I'm going to pray tonight, I'm not going to be anxious all week long. Or I'm going to pray once, I'm going to give in to anxious thoughts all week long, and I'm not experiencing peace, and I don't know why. No, no, no. This is an ongoing, abiding in the vine kind of command. You can't abide once, run out, and assume that you're going to be good for the next two or three weeks, and then wonder why your fruit's dying. No, you've got to live in the vine. But as you live in the vine, and, and I would say even for those who battle anxiety and struggle with giving in to worry, even, even in the first instance, I, I would be willing to say you'll begin to experience some of the benefit. And as you continue replacing anxiety with prayer, you'll experience more and more and more of the benefit. And the more you fight that battle, the more you will know in your own life what God promises in his word, that his peace has set up a garrison over your heart and over your soul, so that when temptation and anxiety comes, your former prayers are protecting you from them in the moment, and your current prayers are setting up more guards for future moments. It's the point of Isaiah 26, 3 and 4, where Isaiah writes, You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. My friends, what a trade! What a trade! What kind of insanity is present in us? What kind of rebellion and independence and self-confidence is present in us that we will not make this trade? What kind of diabolical self-confidence is in us that we would rather try to figure things out and think that worry solves worry rather than taking God up on this magnificent trade by prayer? Since the Lord is near, we should exchange our anxiety for peace through prayer. Since the Lord is near. Let's give some very specific examples. Your old age and retirement. For some of us, that is an anxiety that seeks to sneak its way in. Not talking about thoughtful, peaceful planning. I'm talking about anxious worries. What if it's not enough? What if I haven't done enough? What happens if my plans fail? What happens if my well-planned provisions run out? What happens if I live longer than I thought I would? What happens if my wife lives longer than I thought she would? What, what happens then? Exchange. Peace for anxiety through prayer? What about your children's spiritual condition or their health or their education or their latest relational problem? Exchange. Exchange it. Trade it. God is literally offering it to you. I, I see your anxiety. Would you like to trade? 
I have unfathomable peace. Would you like to keep your anxiety sandwich or would you like to trade? How gentle is God? And yet, I'm good. Anxiety tastes good today. No. What about the state of our country? Newsflash, it's an election year. And people are passionate. <laughs> Exchange your anxiety for peace through prayer. What about the state of your car or the condition of your house or your roof or your AC or that questionable sound that some machine is making somewhere in your life? Exchange anxiety for peace through prayer. I'm, I'm using these examples because I'm assuming, if you're somewhat like me, these are real moments that we assume are neutral, normal moments, but are actually sinful rather than godly moments. I'm assuming that's true for you, because that is for me, that the instant reaction is worry and strategy as opposed to prayer and peace. Now, maybe you're different, but that's how I am. What are we going to do about, okay, worry strategy, worry strategy. I'm just going to, let's do that ping pong game for a little while. Rather than prayer and peace, prayer and peace. Did you hear about worry strategy, worry strategy, worry strategy? No, prayer and peace. Let prayer and peace play that game. Prayer and peace. These are real moments in real life. Did you hear about the meeting Somebody was got the stomach flu. Worry strategy, worry strategy, worry strategy. I'm going to bathe you in oil and fill you with, we're going to worry strategy, we're going to figure out how. Prayer and peace. Common grace is good, action is good, peaceful action is great, peaceful diligence is great, but prayer and peace is the essence of it. The safety of your job or your lack of a job, or your lack of sufficient income. Worry strategy, worry strategy, worry strategy, complain, worry strategy, complain, complain, worry strategy, complain, complain, vent, worry strategy, complain. Prayer, thanksgiving, peace. Prayer, thanksgiving, peace. The weakness of your marriage. Vent, complain, regret. Vent, complain, regret. Vent, complain, regret. Compa regret, regret, regret. Wonder, wonder, wonder. Vent, complain. No. Prayer and peace. Here is the exchange. It is magnificent. Purchased by the death of Christ such that God is not at enmity with us even in spite of our sin but instead offers to exchange it for peace. If you've made a habit of anxiety, it may be that your emotions rebel for a while against trusting the peace of the Lord, but I believe even if you begin right now, you'll begin to experience a transformation. Why do we pray? We want to know God's peace. It's not just a duty. It's a delight because we're longing for that exchange. God has commanded us to know his peace. Christ died to give us his peace. The peace 
notice in the passage, is in Christ Jesus. This guardianship happens because of our union with Christ in salvation. So, one brief word. If you are not a Christian, you have no claim on the peace of God. And any experience of peace that you have in your mind is lying to you and is false assurance. If you are not a Christian, you are on a drug called false assurance. And you are actually in the nightmare that you are not willing to admit you are in. But if you come to Jesus for salvation, repent of your sins, and turn to him as Savior, here are the kind of promises you get to have. Not the absence of trouble, not the absence of cars breaking down and problems with your health and your future life, not the absence of relational problems or people gossiping about you. You don't have the absence of those things. What you do have is the presence of peace within them. How many conflicts are caused or amplified because we are anxious rather than praying? How many sharp words are driven in because we are anxious rather than praying? How many quick criticisms that reveal an anxiety in our heart that has been unresolved rather than praying? How many abrupt corrections of our children are fueled by parental anxiety when we ought to be exuding the peace of the Lord? The Lord commands us to receive his peace. This week, today, there will be a choice. Today, I guarantee you, today, at some point in your mind, there will be a choice. Anxiety strategy, anxiety strategy, prayer and peace, prayer and peace, prayer and peace. Lift your request to the Lord. Exchange anxiety for his peace because God who is incredibly merciful and gracious says want to trade let's pray Lord Jesus thank you for dying on the cross so that the peace of God is available to us Lord, let us turn a thousand moments of indulging anxiety into a thousand moments of prayer. And Lord, fulfill your promise to give us peace. Lord, we are all plagued by so many anxieties. So many, Lord, what people think of us and our kids, our home, and our condition. Lord, this week, this day even, this afternoon, let us turn those anxieties over to you as requests. And please, Lord, grant the fulfillment of this promise of peace. In the name of Jesus, amen.